Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. I'm excited to share God's Word with you. I'm going to jump straight into the Word. Uh, if you're new to church or new to a church environment, maybe you've heard some preachers that uh, you come to church and you're like, wow, I feel worse coming to church. I just got beat up for an hour and a half. You can chillax. That's not how Social Dallas rolls. I believe you're going to leave here better than the way that you came in. You're going to leave here encouraged. You're going to leave here full of hope, and it's going to be good. So stand with me. Uh, we're going to read God's Word just to honor the, read God, the reading of God's Word, and I know that it's hard for you to fall asleep. Uh, while you standing up. Amen. I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter three. And uh, those of you who are regular Social Dallas fan, we've been in a series called, oh, say it with your chest. Fear God. That's been our series, Fear God. Now, if you're new to church or this type of environment, you're like, hold up, that's my problem. I am scared of God. I didn't want to come to a church environment. But we've actually been learning and understanding what it truly means to fear God. That to fear God is not to be afraid of God. God doesn't want you to run from him. He wants you to run to him. But to fear God means that you take him seriously, that you don't approach or treat God casually, but you reverence him. And the Bible has all kinds of promises for people that fear the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How many of you tired of doing dumb stuff? Amen. This is your year to walk in some wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps, protects those who fear him. All throughout your Bible, you'll hear the fear of the Lord. So that's what we've been talking about. And I thought about where did fear begin? Because there's a good fear and there's a bad fear. And I was wondering where, where did fear start in the first place? And that's why we're going to back that thing up biblically. Uh, to the book of Genesis. Amen. Focus. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 8 through 13. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you're not ready, say, hold up. I heard one hold up in the back. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you, even though it's on a big old screen. Can y'all see the screen over here? Y'all can't see the screen, so y'all just got to trust I'm reading the Bible. I could be reading the newspaper. I could be reading anything. Y'all got to believe by faith. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse number 8. And it said, when the cool evening breezes were blowing. Look at that. Can you feel it? Cool evening breeze. We didn't even plan that. Special effects while we read the Bible. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. <laughs> Hiding from God like he can't see you. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid, and I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, look, I didn't ask for no wife. When did I ask you? for a woman. Classic blame game. Isn't it funny when we get back to the corner, we don't ever take responsibility. We're like, okay, this got to be somebody else's fault. This is not my fault. He says, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, uh, she's the one that made me do it. And I ate it. Next verse. Then the Lord God asked the woman, well, what have you done? She's like, well, uh, he blaming me. I'm blaming the snake, okay? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why. I ate it. Can you say amen? 
I want to preach today, uh, not long, although it's a bye week. How many believe by faith Cowboys winning the Super Bowl this year? I said it now. I'm saying it now. It's happening. I want to preach today using this as a title, Naked and Afraid. Naked and Afraid. Normally, I would have you look at your neighbor and say my title, but just keep looking straight ahead. Don't look at nobody. <laughs> Let's not make it awkward, but just look straight ahead and say the sermon title. Oh, say it like you had some coffee. Say the sermon title is Naked and Afraid. Bow your heads. Let's pray a long prayer, then you can chillax the rest of the service. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us today. Amen. You may be seated. Naked and afraid. Anybody in here today, do you remember the very first time that a teacher called one of your parents about your behavior in school? Anybody remember that time? Come on, let me see your hand. If you remember the moment that a teacher, I'm talking about called the house about your behavior at school. I need to see your hand real high. Okay, look, that's a lot of hands. Y'all some bad, with some bad acting kids. Now, th th if you didn't lift up your hand, if you didn't lift up your hand because you never had one of those moments where a teacher called one of your parents about your behavior, uh, I need to let you know right now, uh, nobody liked you in school, okay? <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm kidding. But come on, let's be honest. It, it's annoying that overachieving person in school. You just always make straight A's. You just always go to school. You got perfect attendance. Like, you don't want to make a C just once, just to see if you average. Come on, overachievers. Sometimes they can be kind of annoying a little bit. And you can actually always spot that overachiever. You can always tell who they were in class. You can tell who they were on the first day of class when the role was being called. You can always tell the person that was just never going to get in trouble. You could tell from the roll call, first day, teacher calling the roll. Uh, Fred, here. Cody, here. Uh, Kinesia, here. Uh, Karen, present. For real? <laughs> present, we just here. You present. You can always tell. <laughs> the kid are never going to get in no trouble. But uh, all of us have had that moment, that moment where a teacher had to call yo parent about your behavior, and there is nothing as nerve-wracking, there is nothing as heart-palpitating as that moment when you know the school called the house. And you mess it. God bless you if one of your parents was the one that kind of kept you in suspense, didn't even let you know what it was about, so you just getting in the car from school just real happy. Uh, hey, baby, how was your day? Man, it was good. Oh, was it? The school called me today and just leaves you in suspense. So now your mind got to figure out what, 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 what did they call about? What did I do? Oh, it's a scary feeling. It's a scary feeling when they called to school. And I, I, I remember growing up, I had one of those moments. They, they called from school because I was acting a fool. I didn't even let my father answer the phone. That's how scared I was. Because though you heard me preach before, you know my father is Nigerian, okay? My dad is Nigerian. My dad came from America. I'm sorry, from Africa to America, like Eddie Murphy in the movie. And uh, he met my mom. And uh, I mean, you know, when your daddy's African, it is different in the African household. He is Nigerian. He does not play. He will kill you. So when I got the call from my teacher. I didn't even give him a chance to answer the phone. I picked up the phone. i never forget it. Miss Jones, some of you heard me tell this story. She said, uh, yeah, I need to speak to Mr. Madhu. My dad's Nigerian. I immediately said, I panicked. I immediately said, this is him. <laughs> 
I need to talk to you about your son's behavior in school. I said, are you serious? I have not raised my son to act that way at school, and I promise you this will never happen again. True story. I impersonated my dad for a good 20 minutes, just trying not to get speared to death. But it's scary. It's It's a feeling of fear when you know your behavior was out of line. And I had an experience this week, true story, now I'm a parent, and uh, my wife and I, we got a call this week. We got a call this week from my oldest daughter's school. Got a call this week, and the teacher called. She's in first grade, and the teacher called, and she said, um, I'm so sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Um, First of all, I need to let you know that Evie is doing an incredible job. She actually got the Life Leader Award. I said, really? Life Leader takes after her father. That's amazing. Said, but I also need to let you know something else. Um, she said, today in the classroom, she said she didn't know what she was doing, and it wasn't out of malice. She was smiling while she was doing it. But I caught her a couple of times flipping the bird, lifting up her middle finger to a student. She didn't know what it was. I could tell she was laughing. But by school policy, I have to let you guys know. I said, okay, well, thank you for letting us know. I know she hadn't seen that in our house. She doesn't know what that is. But as she's telling us, I hear sniffles. She had us on speaker. And it was Evie, my oldest. And she was like, I'm sorry, Mommy. I'm sorry, Daddy. And we're like, okay, it's okay, Evie. It's all right. It's, it's fine. You didn't know. And she came home from school. And I mean, her head was still kind of down. We had to have a whole little family meeting about it. She had no clue what the finger meant. We had to explain it and break it down. And it intrigued me that although my daughter had no clue what that finger meant, when her teacher called us from school, she did know what it was to feel fear and even shame. Isn't it crazy that she didn't know what the finger meant, but at the thought that she was gonna get in trouble from her mother and her father immediately produced a fear, it immediately produced a shame. Her head was down when she got in the car. She was familiar with a feeling, even though she didn't even know what it meant to lift up that finger. And it had me asking the question, Where did that feeling come from? Where did that come from? You understand that that was not originally in the psyche of humanity, that we were never originally created to have a feeling of fear or to have feelings of shame. That was not in God's original intention in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Do you know where that feeling came from? It's in the scripture we read today in Genesis chapter 3 verse 10 where Adam confesses, God, when I heard your voice, I was afraid, so I hid. That is the first time fear is ever mentioned in your Bible, is when God was looking for Adam and Eve, and for the first time, Adam and Eve, who used to run towards the presence of God, started running away from the presence of God, and it is in Genesis 3, verse number 10, that fear and shame makes its debut on humanity, and how many of you know that fear and shame have been wreaking havoc ever since that day? Come on, can you imagine what your life would look like if you didn't have fear, if you didn't have shame? Can you imagine how 
you would have worshipped earlier if you didn't have the enemy all in your head, reminding you of your mistakes, reminding you of your past? Can you imagine how you would step into your call and your purpose if you didn't have fear, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of the unknown? You need to understand that fear made its debut in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 10. But in Genesis 1 and 2, you will never see the word fear. Do your due diligence. Do your homework. If you find fear in Genesis 1 or 2, I will buy you a steak dinner later on today. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's original intention for the earth. In fact, the only perfection that you see in your Bible is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no fear. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no pain. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no shame. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no injustice. In Genesis 1 and 2, there are no diseases. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no sickness. In Genesis 1 and 2, there are no earthquakes. In Genesis 1 and 2, there are no hurricanes. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no pain. In Genesis 1 and 2, there is no virus. In Genesis 1 and 2, there are no tears. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see the perfect way that God intended creation to be. And I want to stop right there for Genesis 1 and 2 because the reason you don't see any of those things is because you serve a good God and that good God created everything originally for his good and for his glory. It was not until we were disobedient that the drama came into the story of humanity. Woo, that's why it's so funny. People that never even think about God when trouble happens, they say, well, ah, uh, why you make it happen? And I almost want to speak for God and say, uh, don't look at me. It was you, boo-boo. Y'all started it. If you see my original intention in one and two, I created this world absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Ooh, that's why if you study the language of our faith, have you noticed a lot of words in church have the prefix re on it? R-E. Re means to bring something back to its original intention. Your God specializes in re. That's why God wants to redeem you. He wants to regenerate you. He wants to revive you. He wants to restore you. There's a whole lot of re's because in Genesis 3, we jacked up the world. And ever since that moment, we lost something in Genesis 1 and 2. Humanity went from naked and unashamed can you imagine? That's Genesis 2.25. Naked and unashamed. When the last time you was naked and unashamed? Don't answer that out loud. Can you imagine? We went from naked and unashamed to now all of a sudden sin entering the world caused us to go to naked and afraid. We lost something in Genesis 1 and 2 when sin entered the world. We lost an innocence. In fact, the only time you even see just a glimmer of it, every parent can relate. You ever seen that moment you had company over and y'all all chilling, watching TV, and here come your two-year-old out the room, just butt naked. And you're like, what are you doing? And they don't care. They just run. They all on the kitchen table. Hey, everybody. They have no clue. And all of a sudden, they learn over time, you don't do that. Cover up. Where did they get that from? Because we used to have that childlike innocence where we didn't care. But when sin entered the world, we lost something. We lost something, and we began to cover, and we began to hide, and we began to be afraid. And what happened in Genesis is still happening today. And it is a trick of the enemy to always have you living in a place where you are naked 
and afraid. So you cover. Naked and afraid. How many of you have watched the show? I never watched the show. I, I haven't seen the show. But uh, thank God for Wikipedia. I looked at the show on Wikipedia. And it's so funny. The show is completely opposite of the way God created the world. I mean, come on. In, in, in Genesis, in Eden, it was a new discovery every day. Can you imagine seeing the world for the very first time? It was discovery every day. On the show, it's just a channel, discovery channel. On the show, it's two strangers who have never met before, and they meet the first day naked. Oh, that's not what happened in Genesis. Adam and Eve were completely connected to each other and to their God. He looked at Eve the first day, which, by the way, ladies, how many of you know God ended creation with y'all? After he created y'all, he said, that's it. It don't get no better than that. I made sunsets. I've made orangutans. I've made all kinds of things. But after this, it don't get no better. Come on, ladies. You ought to thank God for that. Stop with y'all. And can you imagine Adam seeing her for the first day like, oh my goodness. They were perfect. They were connected on the show. I think all you get is like a machete or a lighter out there and you got to survive for 21 days. Come on, in the Garden of Eden, you had the presence of God every day and you were not surviving. You were thriving in God's presence. I want to parenthetically pause there and let somebody know you will only thrive in the presence of God. That's the only place you're going to find peace. That's the only place you're going to find true joy. It is in his presence. But on the show... There you are, naked and afraid, just trying to survive with a lighter. Isn't that a lot of our lives today? If you want to look at a lot of people's lives today, they're just trying to survive. Afraid, covering, just trying to survive. And all of it happened. We went from naked and unashamed to naked and afraid because of one act of disobedience from a tree. Somebody say, the tree. Come on, say it like you got some coffee. Say, tree. You know what? I'm extra. If you ever heard me preach, I'm real extra. I almost had them go to Home Depot this morning and just buy me a big old tree to bring it out here because that's where humanity went down with a tree. I almost had them bring a big old tree. But I said, that'll be too much. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't. Actually, that's not true. Bring that big tree out here. Because this, woo, this is what caused humanity to get turned upside down. This is what caused us to be naked and afraid. A tree. Woo. It's always been about a tree. Not just a tree, but how you see this tree. That's what it's always been about, this tree. God put all these trees in the garden, said you can eat of it as many as you want, but then he had to put this one tree, this one tree in the garden and he said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How do you see that tree? I'm be honest with you. Those of you who don't acquiesce to Christianity, I feel you on this part of the Bible because I struggled with that tree for years. Because I'm like, God, if you really loved us and you really cared, why would you put a tree that's going to jack up the world forever in the garden in the first place? Come on, anybody read the Bible like me? Just come on, God. You could at least just don't put the tree there or put a little note on the tree and say, please don't touch it. You're going to jack up the world forever. Please don't touch the tree. Why would he put the tree in the garden? How do you see this tree? I used to see this tree not as God's love, but as, as God who is not kind. I used to see the tree like that. I was like, God, you shouldn't even put the tree in there. How are you going to tell him to eat any tree but this one tree I can't touch? How many know the moment you tell me I can't touch it, you may as well put red Christmas lights on it. 
We want to do the thing we don't want to do. So as soon as he said, don't touch it, I'm like, why did you put the tree there? And I had issues with God until God began speaking to me and showing me how necessary that tree was. That tree was necessary with those other trees because God ultimately did not want robots. He wanted a relationship. And you got to understand that you cannot experience the power of love unless there are options for you to choose from. Love is only as powerful and as palpable as the options that you have around it. Where the ladies at? Ladies, make some noise in here. Ladies, can you imagine being the only woman on earth and there's like three dudes and the three dudes come up to you and they're like, hey girl, I just want to let you know, I love you. You're the only one for me. If that makes you get excited, something is wrong with you. You're the only girl on earth? If he says you're the only one for me, somebody will make you look at him and say, oh, I bet I am. I bet you do love me. I bet I am the only one. You ain't got nothing else to choose from. How many of you know what makes love powerful is not just what you said yes to, it's what you said no to. What makes marriage beautiful is not just what you embrace, it's what you rejected. What makes love so powerful is not just the DM you responded to, it's the DM that you said, no, I ain't saying nothing back because you're not. This is what people don't understand. This is why marriages are in a crisis in our world today. Because we think marriage is just about, I do. Anybody can say I do on a day. The question is not you just saying I do to the one. If you're gonna make the long haul, you better say I don't to the other 6.8 billion people that are on earth and say I'm committed to you whether I got roses or not, whether I feel like I'm in love or not, I've made a commitment to you. And it's not just that I do, it's that I don't to a whole lot of other people. Do you understand why this tree had to be there? He needed this tree because every day they walked past that tree, they were saying, God, I honor your word. I, I, I don't have to understand it. You gave me a commandment. I honor your word. Not only was that tree about the power of love and relationship, that tree is about something else. Something else that our culture doesn't like at all. Ooh, this word, parents forgive me, this word is a cuss word in our culture. That tree was about another word that our culture hates. We hate this word. And y'all forgive me for putting the word on the screen. It is a cuss word in our culture. Put, put it on the screen real quick. Oh, see, that's, that's, that's the cuss word version. No, put, put, put the regular version. Put the regular version. Up. Oh, there it is. <laughs> boundaries. Just say it. Say boundaries. You should have seen some of y'all's faces when you said it. Look constipated like you've been sucking on lemons. Boundary. We don't like boundaries. But the power of the tree is not just love, it's boundaries. Believe it or not, you have to have boundaries to have true freedom. There is no such thing as no boundaries and freedom. This is what is wrong with our world and our culture today. Because we are the only created in an entity that despises boundaries, but we're desperate for freedom. And we think the true freedom is to have no boundaries. And so we're like, I just want to, I just, let me, just let me do what I want to do. Not knowing that to do what you want to do 
is the greatest slavery in the world. You need something in your life that's a no. You need a tree in your life that you can't touch. So, oh, I'm going to have to come hard for you because you're just looking at me like it's an outdoor service and you can't say amen. Some of y'all's financial situation right now is because you ain't got no boundaries. Some of your relation issues right now, relationship issues, because you don't have any boundaries. Some of you, your joy right now is because you don't have no boundaries. Stop scrolling and comparing your life to everybody else's. Put a timer on your gram and say, I got to get off of this. Only three minutes a day. Otherwise, I'm going to be looking at your life and start hating mine. I got to create a boundary. <laughs> boundaries. But we're the only created entity that hates boundaries. Everything God created, he put a boundary. He said, let there be light. Light, stay over there. Light said, okay. Darkness, you stay over there. Darkness said, cool. He said, let there be water. Water, you stay there. Water's like, cool. Land, you can only go this far. Land was like, that's cool. I didn't want to go any farther anyway. Created the fish. Told the fish, you can swim in the ocean all you want. Now, you can't go in the sky. You got to stay in the ocean. Fish said, cool. The water is bluer anyway. Told the birds, the sky is all yours. Now, you can't go down in the water. Birds are like, cool, I ain't trying to be with those fish anyway. Humanity, there's a boundary. You can't eat from this tree. Why? How come? Huh? The only created entity that fights the boundary. I don't want to stay here too long, but this is the sickness that the enemy wants to get in your mind. That for you to truly be free is to remove the boundaries. And you'll hear it in our statements and our idioms and culture. Stuff like, do you. Just do you. Oh, here's another one. Follow your heart. Really? Follow, your, follow the thing that the Bible says is deceitful and wicked beyond cure. Follow that. <laughs> Better follow Jesus. Your heart would... Have, let's be honest. Have you ever followed your heart somewhere? Talking about I'm going to be free. Only to have your heart lead you in a messed up, broken, ratchet place? Better get you a... Somebody say boundary. Better get you a boundary. Get you some boundaries with people. Get you some boundaries with your words. Say, oh, I only go this far. And anybody that has an issue with your boundary is somebody that's probably stepping over the boundary, and that's why they have a problem with it. It's, it's, it's boundaries. This issue with boundaries has even affected our children. I love what John Mark Comer said. He said that the Western philosophy and ideology about boundaries and true freedom can be summed up in a little song that all of us had our little daughter singing. Elsa's little song. Remember Elsa's song? Elsa gives it the theology of the Western culture. Have you heard it? Have you heard it? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. For real? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. For real? To test the limits and break. Oh, you want to test the limits? Do that on the highway when you're leaving here today. <laughs> Just tell the officer, I was testing the limits. I know it says 65 for what? There is no freedom with no boundaries. And God wants you to come under his word and under his boundary so that you don't live your life, hear me, naked and afraid, full of shame. Have you ever felt shame because you went past the boundary? 
Have you ever had fear talk to you at night because you went past a boundary? God is not a killjoy. He's not a cosmic person with a hammer waiting to hit you upside the head. Every boundary that he places in your life is because he loves you. Because he wants you to do life the way he designed it. Social scientists even did a study with some kids where outside it just came to me, where they had no boundaries in a big field, and they told the kids to run out and play. And what they noticed is that in the field with no boundaries, that the kids would cluster together, and they didn't explore the land. They were actually afraid with no fence. But then they put a fence and enclosed an area and told the kids to play. And they noticed when they enclosed the area, the kids were running all around. They were going up to the edge. They ran and they played because true freedom is to have a boundary. I'll never forget, and I'm landing the plane, worship team, join me. I'll never forget talking to a friend of mine in high school, complaining about my Nigerian father. I said, you gotta get him, he's a tyrant. It's like, I don't have any freedom. He don't let me do anything. I gotta be in the house nine o'clock. Come on, listen to Christian music. It's ridiculous. Can't even go to Halloween party. Said the only ghost is the Holy Ghost. You gotta come help me, man. Crazy boundaries. I was the kid, they had the sleepover, and I had to leave early. Like, do, do, why do you need to spend it? You're just going to sleep. Come back to the house. This is the house I grew up in. Boundaries. I'm complaining to my friend about it. I'm like, man, you, you understand, man. If I'm late, he's waiting up in the house, just in the house waiting. If I miss the curfew by a minute, he's up waiting, looking through the window. He's a fireman. He doesn't even sleep. He's just watching. And as I'm complaining to my friend, waiting to hear, like a man that's messed up. I'll never forget this as long as I live. Tears start coming down his face. I say, hey, bro, you all right? He said, yeah. I'm good. I said, what's wrong? He said, man, as you're talking, I'm just thinking how I don't have a relationship with my dad. He said, I'm thinking about how, like, my mom don't ever check when I come in. They let me do whatever I want. He said, I could get hurt. I've been in some crazy places. And they don't even check to see I'm gonna make it home at night. And I'll never forget that moment, realizing that a boundary is not punishment. A boundary is love. You don't know love until you've been given a boundary, until you've been given protection. Adam and Eve fell to the enemy's device that if you break the boundary, that's where your freedom will come. The boundary is what's messing you up. So break the boundary and you'll be free. But isn't it a sad thing when you break the boundary and you find yourself more bound? That's what happened. This is why humanity is in the predicament that it is in today. They broke the boundary. And here's how the enemy got them to break it got them to break the boundary by getting this in their mind. This is all he'll attack in your life, by the way. 
He'll always attack the character of God and the Word of God. That's all the enemy ever attacked. His character and His Word. To get you to believe that God is not good and His Word cannot be trusted. And once you believe that God is not good and that you can't trust Him, you will make the same decision that Adam and Eve did that day when they took of the fruit and they ate of it. And for the first time, in the history of humanity, fear crept in their heart and they were running away from a God that was coming to them. But look at how this God, this kind Savior comes to them. He does not come to them after they took of the forbidden fruit and say, how dare you? How could you? He does not come to them pointing a finger of condemnation. He comes to them with questions. The questions of God are the kindness of God. And the first question that God asks humanity is, where are you? Where are you? He wasn't asking because he was trying to find out. He was asking because he wanted them to realize where they were. He was asking because they got themselves in such a mess. This was the first emergency of humanity. We know when we get in trouble to call 911 because we've seen some emergencies. But what do you do when this is the first emergency of humanity and you don't even know that you need to call out to God? Thank you, Jesus, for saying, where are you? Because I didn't even know how to find you. I didn't even know how to reach out to you that's why he said where are you where are you was for them to realize that you've gotten to a place that you never thought you would get to and you need me to get you out of it I don't know who this is for today but maybe life has gotten you in a place that you need him to get you out of and he is running to you to rescue you but you're afraid because you think he's coming to judge you. You think he's coming to kill you. He's not coming to kill you. Hear me, he is coming to cover you. He is coming because he is the answer. Why would you run away from the thing that you need? To reverence God, to fear God, is not to run away, it's to run towards. If you want to know whether you have the fear of the Lord, check your feet. Are you running away? Are you running towards him? God told me to preach this on Strauss Square to somebody who feels naked and afraid, who's been running away, who thinks that the boundary was to block you from freedom. And God's trying to remind you that the boundary is proof positive of his love. And he wants you to come under his boundary, under his word. He wants you to know that you can trust him. Where are you? He wasn't coming to kill him. He was coming to cover him. Prove it in the Bible. Okay, one more verse. Genesis 3, 21. He asked them, where are you? He asked them, who told you you were naked? Because they said I was naked and I was afraid. Then he said, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? Three questions to deal with the three parts of humanity. Spirit, body, and soul. There's three of you in that seat right now. Spirit, body, soul. Where are you? Your spirit is dead. I hid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? You're ashamed 
from the way I created you, you've always been naked. Your nakedness has not changed. Something has changed in your perception about the way you've always been. And God said, I created your body. I created every part of you. How are you going to hate the image of me that's in you? Your spirit has died, and now you don't understand the beauty of your body that was created in my image. Why are you ashamed of the thing you always were? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? Oh, the woman you gave me made me do it. Oh, really, Adam? It's my fault? You're saying it's my fault because I gave you the woman? His thinking has been affected. Your spirit? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Your body? Did you eat of the tree? The woman you gave me, you're blaming her? which is essentially to blame me for the situation you're in, your thinking has been distorted. And we serve a God who died on the cross naked. He died on the tree for every single one of us. Hear me. So that he could pay the price for sin that affected your mind, your spirit, and your body. How could you not run to this Savior? Where are you? You don't have to be naked and afraid. You can run to him. Can I read that verse? God made clothing for Adam and his wife, and he dressed them. You want to go from being naked and afraid to covered? Stop trying to cover yourself with the fig leaves and allow God to cover you. Stop trying to cover yourself and hide and come to God with whatever your ratchet issue is. And when you come to him and you let him cover you, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you let him cover you, he'll embrace. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.